Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who has been on this show so many times, I'm actually running out of ways to introduce him. Many of you know him as the host and reporter for MSG's New York tele- Rangers telecast. He's two-time Emmy Award winner as part of the Rangers coverage on MSG. Prior to that, he spent nine years at the New York Post and Daily News Sports Departments, where he covered the Islanders, Jets, Giants, Mets for the Post, and the Mets, Rangers, and Yankees for the News. During that time, he covered the Rangers' 94 Stanley Cup run, Yankees' 96 World Series championship, which also happened to be Derek Jeter's rookie season. He also covered Dwight Gooden's no-hitter, just to name a few. It's always a pleasure to welcome him back, not only one of the best in the industry, but he's also one of the nicest people you will ever meet, the pride of Queensborough Athletic Association Little League, the one and only. <laughs> Only John Giannone to WLIE Sports Talk New York. How you doing, Johnny? Uh, that says everything you need to know about QBH if I'm there. <laughs> uh, so first off, how does it feel not having a playoff round to work for the first time since 2010 and only the second time since 2006? Yeah, weird, right? Like <laughs> I, Usually when you start the season, you kind of gear yourself toward doing the 82 building yourself up to the most important time of year where you'll get the biggest audience and the games mean the most. And, you know, we at MSG get our sit-down interviews with 15 or 16 different players in the days leading into the first round, just kind of getting their feeling on the emotion of going through a playoff run and all that. And now I'm sitting here saying, okay, there's a press conference tomorrow with the general manager, Jeff Gorton, but other than that, there's Tuesday's breakup day, and then I'll see you again on September 14th. So it's a weird feeling. And I remember back in 2010, we were so wrapped up in Game 82, winner take all, which went to a shootout, that the, the suddenness of the end of the season was so stunning that it took a couple of days to realize, okay, we're not working now. But this we've kind of known for more than a month or so that, okay, for me, April 5th, because NBC did the game yesterday, that would be it for me. It is, it's a very weird feeling. And to be honest, I, I have counted the days. I believe it's 166 <laughs> until they reconvene. So there you go. <laughs> this is AJ Jen. How hard was the last half of the season or after the trade deadline when it was clear the Rangers were moving in a different direction and they weren't going to make the playoffs? How hard was it for you day in and day out to go and do your job? Yeah, you know what it was? You know, Mark read my bio there. So, you know, you heard him say New York Mets during the 90s. So I was, you know, well accustomed over the years to going and losing dressing rooms. So I sort of grew accustomed to the idea of, of talking to athletes after losses. This was almost a tale of three seasons because right up until, you know, right up until they made the trades, it was still about you're a point, you're two points out of the playoffs. If you get on a run with a hot goaltender or, or a hot power play, maybe you squeak out the eighth spot. Then they make the trades. Then a lot of the talk for the next week or so was really the aftermath of them making the trades and just what a shock to the system it was for those who were left behind, most notably guys like Quiston Zuccarello, to watch a franchise that for more than a decade had been always in the buyer's mentality to then now be sellers of some of their most you know pertinent players and then the last three or four weeks it really was more about 
what do you see from these young guys? What are these young guys learning through the losing? What are they learning through the, the few wins they had? What are they learning through the amount of ice time they're getting? So it really was sort of a, a, a devolving um, theme surrounding the Rangers really ever since that memo was released. You know, it's interesting, and before we get to AV's firing, let's touch on the season a little bit. Um, maybe the best example of what transpired this season is the fact that yesterday when Matt Bolesky and Stephen Fogarty, who played on the third line yesterday, uh, made their <laughs> Rangers debut, it brought the number to 22 players that made their debut with the Rangers this season, which included non-impact guys like uh, DeArnay, Adam Cracknell, Peter Holland, the great Daniel Cananacci, Cody McLeod. <laughs> In all your right. years covering the Rangers... Can you ever remember, and, and any professional team for that matter, so many players coming in and out of a team during one particular season? Yeah, um, you know, sometimes when teams go through really bad uh, injury uh, luck, you'll see that. But really, in this case, uh, you know, again, it just became uh, the concept of let's see what we have. You know, let's see what we have in the minor leagues. You know, once, once they traded Nick Holden and Ryan McDonough, and then, you know, Shattenkirk got hurt and was out for the rest of the year. That's three of your top four defensemen who were not going to play again for the Rangers. So then it became, what do we have down low? Who have we gotten in trades? And who do we want to take uh, a serious look at in NHL competition? It, I probably had been around baseball teams where that many players were in. I, you know, when I covered the 96 Yankees, you had mentioned Derek Jeter's rookie year. There were a lot of faces in and out of there. I mean, we, we probably don't even remember, like, Pat Kelly actually played second base for a while in 1996, you know, while Mariano Duncan was still establishing himself as a Yankee. So I've been through that as well, but this really was more, again, I think a forced turnover because of the way the whole season sort of devolved. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily injury as much as it just was once the philosophy radically changed, you kind of figured it was going to go down that road. We're talking to MSG Network's John Giannone. You know, you mentioned the way you go back to Yankee rosters of when you were doing it. And it's always interesting to note when you look back at rosters. So if you just simply look back at, you know, two years ago's opening roster and compared it to this year's, uh, the following players were missing, obviously. Derek Stepan, Ante Ranta, Adam Clendenning, Dan Girardi, Brandon Peary, um, who believe it or not, made his Vegas debut this week with three goals in two games, right? Um, Jasper Fest, who was injured, uh, and also garnered four players who were injured or scratch in opening night, uh, Oscar Lindbergh, Kevin Klein, McElrath, and Josh Georges. Uh, That team ended up with 102 points. This team ended up with 77, a 25-point drop, which is the single biggest point drop the Rangers have had since 91-92 to 92-93. Did you feel going into this season – that this Ranger was this Ranger team was significantly worse than that squad that lost in the second round to the Senators the year before. Not significantly worse, but I did think that everybody in the East that mattered got better, and I thought that it was going to be. I I still suspected early in the year because of the core and all of the experiences they had, and just the talent level they bring, I still suspected that they would have been good enough to squeak an an eighth-place finish. You know, and again, we mentioned it, all-star break, they go away, and they're one point out of the playoff spot. So, you know, even as late as late January, and listen, we all knew where the warts were. We had seen the warts not only for months, but probably dating back years, uh, (laughs) specifically in their own zone. We we still didn't think that this was a very, you know, that, that this was a top-notch team. I think at the All-Star break, a point out of the playoff spot, you probably still figured, okay, 
they're not going to win the cup as currently constituted. You still sort of wondered, is the franchise going to do what they always do, which is try to make an addition to get a run going? But I think what happened was they, they made basically the same assessment that I just described, and it was, yeah, we're a point out of the playoff spot, but really we're a point out of eighth. And we're probably closer to 11th. And, you know, if we're, if we're going to turn this over and hope to have longer-term success, chasing an eighth spot just so we could lose in five games to Pittsburgh or to Tampa in this case or even Boston, like what happened two years ago, isn't going to get you anywhere. It's going to keep you on the treadmill of, you know, slightly better than mediocrity but not aspiring to the ultimate goal, which is to make deep playoff runs. It is still amazing, though, Mark and, and A.J., when you consider – you know, if Eric Carlson doesn't bank one off Lundqvist from behind the goal line last year and the Rangers, who were the better team, win that series, now you're talking about a team that for the third time in four right. years is in the Eastern Conference Finals and the mentality might be totally different. Or they look at themselves and they say they played so many playoff series, they went as far as they could go with this group, this group had to be broken up, and I think either way that ultimately was going to be the final conclusion of this particular group. You, know, you mentioned that that, that, that that one bank shot. So let's say they did get to another conference final. Does A.V. survive this season as merely a hiccup because of every, you know, what he already had in the bank? I mean, that, that's a great hypothetical, and it's a great what if, and it's, I guess it's fun on a sports talk show to, <laughs> to discuss that. But honestly, you know, A.V. was the coach of the team that was the superior team in most people's and opinion right. going into the series and didn't win. So, you know, sure, had he won that series, he might have gotten another chance after this year, and they might have just said, like in Joel Quendell's case in Chicago, this is a down year for a team that's made a lot of deep playoff runs. We still have a core of, you know, solid NHL star players, and we're going to build around that. And Quenville was given the chance to do that in Chicago. Maybe that happens, but again, that would have been because he would have had three conference final appearances in four years on his resume. Now he has, out in the first round, out in the second round of a series, they probably should have won. I mean, they barely trailed in the whole series except when they lost the games, and then they don't make the playoffs by a long shot in, in this year. So I would say in A.V.'s case, I'm not entirely surprised that the decision was made the way it was. How much of this is more a function of really the transition from being Glenn Sather's team to Jeff Gordon's team, the, the transfer, further transfer of power back? You know, you know, A.V. was not his guy. Yeah, you know, you hear that a lot, AJ, when, when, when coaches are made. You know, well, there's a new GM in there, and it wasn't the GM's guy. But, I mean, Jeff Gordon had been around the franchise for a while and obviously had a relationship with AV. And, you know, I mean, every single time we would get – we would take the bus to the airport after a road game, and, and the team bus would pull up first, and the players would start getting on, and we would pull up second, and we would start getting on. The last two guys on the bus all the time were AV and Jeff Gordon, and they would stand outside the bus, win or lose, and talk about – the team and what had happened and where they need to go, et cetera, et cetera. They had a very good working relationship. Uh, so I don't know that it's as much this general manager feeling he has to put his coaching imprint on the team as much as it is. I just think they have hit the wall with the players they had and now with the philosophy they have and the main voice that they had, which is why they just need to go get another voice. And to me, that's going to be fascinating because usually in sports, general managers, get a very limited number of coaches that they can hire. 
And this is going to be Jeff Gorton's first, I wouldn't call it solo because I'm sure he'll get input from other people, but this is going to be his signature coaching hire. And there are several ways he can go, and it's going to be really interesting in the coming weeks starting tomorrow when he yeah. has a press conference to hear where he goes. So it's interesting. Let's focus on that. Let's shift a little bit to that. I was going to wait for A.B. to the end, but but a couple of things that you touched on there. You talked about their relationship and always together you know, by the bus. But one thing was very interesting that and was one of the reasons where I really didn't think A.B. was going to be back was the disconnect where you know, your GM goes public, writes the letter to the fan base, then dismantles the team. Two or three days later or maybe a week later, A.B. says that he thought that team could make the playoffs, which was a kind of odd statement to make. It it didn't seem like everyone was on board. So the Twitter universe is already a buzz, and, of course, the name that keeps coming up, you know, on Twitter is is Mark Messier. The last time around when Torts was let go, Mess was in the running for the job, actually. Um, His plan was also to have Brian Leach handling the defense, and, you know, he basically – Glenn really reached out to him initially – and Mark said no, and then he came back and said, listen, Mark said go and interview people, and then I guess A.V. blew them away, and then Mess was left cold. Um, Glenn was running things now. The way Jeff Gordon runs things, do you think that Mark Messe would even be a guy that he'd bring in for an interview? You know, I come back, Mark, to the idea that, you know, a general manager only gets a very finite and small number of hires, and they have to be good ones. You know, and listen, they turned over the team this year. They gutted a team of some heart and soul guys who had taken them a pretty long way. And they're turning the team over. They're turning the team younger. They're trying to change the philosophy. Uh, he, he can't get this one wrong, you know. <laughs> and, and I don't know that a general manager who has experience in any sport is going to turn his team over. Or, or let, me, let me rephrase that. Because the Yankees just did it. But I think Brian Cashman has been with that organization for so long that he probably could get that one wrong and maybe survive it. I don't know that a general manager who's only been in his second or third or fourth year can go out and make a hire for a a team in a situation like the Rangers that has turned it over as much as they have and go hire a guy who doesn't have previous experience at some level uh, behind a bench. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in an ATL bench. You know, if you want to go hire a guy who's got AHL experience or even college experience and has been successful and has a great reputation among his peers for leading young players and grooming young players and helping them grow, that's fine if that's the path you're going to go. But for all of Mark Messier's greatness as a player and for all of his leadership acumen as a person, he's never done it. And, and it, it, you know, it, that would concern me if I was the general manager of a team. So, you know, I would never say never that he would be part of the mix. But if, if I'm a betting man, as our previous coach used to like to say, <laughs> I, would go, I would bet he's going to go down the road of somebody who has significant behind-the-bench experience somewhere. I, I agree with you. And the two names that keep coming up for me and make the most logical sense based on you know, Jeff's past and, and the college ranks and, and where guys have been are you know, um, University of Denver's hockey coach Jim Montgomery and the guy who I really would love to see, and this is why I want to ask you, because you have the best view 
of anyone in hockey. You're right between <laughs> two different benches, so you see constant different guys. So one of the guys I really like is Tard Reardon, who's the currently the assistant coach for the Capitals. Before that, he's an assistant coach for the Penguins. Um, he was a, a former head coach of um, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins of right. the AHL. He seems like the prototypical Gordon Hire to me. But you're down at ice level, and this is like one thing that people keep on saying, that AV's not the right guy for the, a rebuild, not the right guy for young players. You've seen so many coaches do their thing behind the bench, so many assistant coaches. Is there a quote-unquote right guy for a rebuild, and what does that right guy look like? What is he doing on the bench that makes him the right guy for a young and up-and-coming team? Yeah, to be honest with you, Mark, that's a great question. During games, I don't think it's as visible. You know, I think, I think where that manifests itself in games more than anything else is when a coach shortens his bench and leaves a younger guy out of the mix. Now, we have seen A.V. do that in the past. Vucinavich would be, you know, left behind. Jimmy Vesey at times would not see ice time in the third period. Uh, certainly, J.T. Miller through his career was sort of the guy singled out more than others young players-wise, among the Rangers with A.V. I think that's part of it. I think a lot of it is what we don't see, which is side topic, you know, side conversations at practice or morning skates or, you know, discussions in in film sessions and video sessions, stuff that we would never be privy to. I think it's... I think it's a general mood and, and attitude and feel that a coach establishes for young players that this young player can go out and say, this guy has my back. If I make a mistake, I'm not going to ride the pine for 17 minutes in the third period versus you know, a, a coach who may be much more hands-on in terms of, of teaching. I think A.V. Was, handled himself very well, to be honest with you, in the last – three or four weeks when this team was turned upside down and it was young player after young player after AHL player after AHL player coming in, I thought he handled himself really well. He took it seriously. He burned behind the bench to want to win, and the decisions he made almost all the time were about wanting to win. I mean, I reported on the air the other night when the Rangers played the Islanders, Every time John Tavares was on the ice, he would try to make sure he had his top line on the ice. Now, it might have benefited somebody like Heedle or Anderson to get a chance to play against a guy like John Tavares, but A.V. wanted to win, and he wanted to continue to establish that mood on the team. So I don't know, again, because I'm not privy to video sessions, I'm not privy to conversations on the ice or in the dressing room or in the coach's office, why they determined he wasn't the best guy to do it. I just think after five years, Elaine Vigneault's voice, whatever it was, whatever his mood or attitude or voice that he established for the team had run its course, just as the team itself had run its course, and that's why the whole thing is getting turned over. In Todd Reardon's name, and I did right. want to make sure I mentioned this, I would be a million percent stunned if he wasn't the Washington Capitals coach next year, no matter what happens in the playoffs. I think he's the coach in waiting. I don't think there's anything the Capitals are going to do to let him go. And I believe Barry Trotz, who still doesn't have a contract for next year, is not going to be the coach there, even if he wins the Stanley Cup. So they first, have to, get a, Trotz, they first have to get out of that, that first round. <laughs> well, listen, if they don't get out of the first round, then you have your answer. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, even if they win the Cup, I would say – that Todd Reardon is going to be the next coach of the Washington Capitals. Maybe it happens because, look, 
if they win the cup, then they have to sign the guy. Then they have to sign Barry Trotz long term. If he doesn't want to stay there because there's a coach in waiting that the Caps don't want to lose, then Barry Trotz is going to leave. And if he leaves, the Rangers would be highly interested. Of yeah. course they would. Mm-hmm. You know. So I mean, I think that's why you're not going to see somebody named anytime soon. I think they're going to take their time, do their due diligence. They're going to go the college route, the AHL route. I know Sheldon Keith gets a lot of mentions when people speculate on where they might go. Of course, he's a Toronto Marlies coach, played a little bit in the NHL, and has had great success mentoring young players. And the Maple Leafs are good in no small part because of what he did when they were really bad. So, you know, I think, I think Jeff Gordon's going to really take his time to think this one through, see everybody who's available, whether it be Dan Dalsma, Tony Granato, uh, Daryl Sutter. I mean, you just go down the names. I think there's, there's a whole host of potential uh, coaches in waiting. It's just a matter of does he want to go younger with a team that might look quite young next year. Great, great stuff. Uh, quickly, before we let you go, yes. uh, the one other guy, there's been two guys that have been here for all three coaches you know, since lockout, yes. Rennie, and, and they'll be here most likely for the fourth. That's Mark Stoll and Henrik Lundqvist. Just quickly on Lundqvist, the backbone of the team since the day he got here. Um, he stated yes. publicly that he's on board with whatever direction management's going to do, rebuild, you know, so be it. But he also stated you know, yesterday that next season from day one has to be about winning. Can those two plans coexist? I think it has to be about competing to win. I, I, I think his greater point is they can't go into next season saying we're in a Buffalo Sabres level rebuild or we're in a Vancouver Canucks level rebuild and we'll be okay finishing 11th or 12th as long as we make progress off a 77-point season. I don't think that's – if that happens – then he changes his tune about waving his no-trade clause, and then maybe he goes somewhere else next year. I think he has the right to do that. He signed a contract that allows him to do that. But I, I think his message about winning is he wants to make sure that whatever decisions are made regarding a head coach, regarding potential free agency, whether it be John Carlson or John Tavares, or if they trade for Eric Carlson, or whatever it is, whatever moves they decide to make, Ilya Kovalchuk, it has to be about trying to win next year while also trying to build longer term for success beyond just next year. I think you can do it. I mean, I think we've seen teams who have missed the playoffs one year and then bounced back and and won Stanley Cups. They, of course, have foundational players. I mean, the Penguins did it a couple of years ago, and then, you know, look look who they have as their foundational players. I think the, the place where they really need to address is in their own zone, obviously. Uh, you know, they, they have to figure out what's going to happen in their own zone, whether Brendan Smith will be anything or just a minor league run-out-your-career guy, whether Kevin Shattenkirk will ever play to a higher degree when he's fully healthy than he has, what other player do they go for? But they need another veteran presence in the room to provide another voice because Henrik Lundqvist's voice is very forceful in that room. And when things aren't going well, it can be a very difficult voice to have to hear all the time. <laughs> so they need, and you know that, and I know that, and I'm not even in the room when he's <laughs> expressing it. We, we see it after games. Right. We see how much it burns for him. So just imagine what it's like when it just happened and the doors are closed. So with a team that has so many young players, I think the Rangers have to take into account who they can bring in to maybe be a counter voice. 